There are 15 days left before the election and the signs are everywhere calling you. Vote for me. No, for me. No, no. Vote for me. But how much do you actually know about the candidates? And how can you choose the right person to represent you when all you've seen is their name and their nice smile? Hi, my name is Yael Feiner, and in this podcast, we will get to know all the 14 candidates running for office. We'll learn why they're running, what they're passionate about, and their vision for our city. My guest today is Jesse Pinheiro, who's running for city council. In case you don't know him, Jesse is the owner and coach of the Nelson Boxing Gym on Baker Street. He decided to run for office to bring the community together and to find inclusive solutions that would serve us all. Let's get to know him. So what makes you run? Well, I've lived here since 1995, mostly, on and off. And I've just, the last six years especially, I think, as I've been running my boxing club downtown and seeing some of the things that go on in the city and around the city and some of the challenges that we face as a community. And I had, I guess I've had these ideas and want to see if I can implement any of them. Our strength as a community is in a collective community. And I think people need to be brought together, not brought apart because we've got some really intense challenges ahead of us, I think, as a community and a bigger society. So I think Nelson has that potential and I just wanted to see if I can help that in any way. Are you talking about COVID or the climate or what is the challenges that you see? That we're I facing? see, I mean, there's, like I said, bigger societal things. I think the climate is obviously the biggest thing that we all face as humanity at, this, at the moment. And that can be really daunting for people because it feels like there's nothing you can do about it and as an individual. And I think the answer to that is to, again, like I said, just come together collectively and look at solutions that we can all do, little things that we can do as a community and as neighbors to each other that make sense and help each other out. I think climate change is going to affect everybody, regardless of whether you can afford air conditioning or an electric bike or a Tesla or whatever. Like yeah. the people that can't afford those things are actually going to be the most affected. So as a city, I'd like to see us look at solutions that are available to everybody and that everybody on every on all levels of our community can buy into and be a part of so that we people feel like they're actively doing something so what did you see in the last six years that made you okay you have to step in my impression has been that we have been very preoccupied with making Nelson a nice place to visit and I think we need to refocus on making it a nice place to live I think that mm-hmm. <laughs> everything <laughs> Everything that is good for the people that live here will automatically be appreciated by the people that visit here. And nobody's going to show up and be like, oh, my God, people here have too many places to live and there's too many jobs and there's the transit system is way too good. I'm out of here. Nobody's going to do that. <laughs> On the other hand, not everything that's good for visitors is good for the people that live here. So I think that as a community, just I think it's a in regards to city council, maybe just a refocus on the things that are really important and going forward it's a change in culture potentially but going forward we can see the results of that probably long after four years council term is up like we just have to reset our priorities a little bit so there are three main challenges that we face as a city the climate the transit and the community ties I think it's funny since talking to starting this campaign and talking to people I find it amazing how you intersectional every problem is there's climate and there's transit and there's housing and there's poverty and there's all these things that people are concerned about and none of them 
is independent of the other. When I talk to people about housing, if nobody can find a place to live here, and then people are complaining that they can't find anybody to work, well, those two things are obviously connected. Like people that are in entry-level jobs that make $17, $16 an hour can't afford to pay rent here, and so they don't live here. So you can't find them to work in your store. There's things that obviously are connected, and if we try to solve problems and we go after one thing at a time, the, the low-hanging fruit even, the things that we as a community can accomplish, I think that every problem is solved incrementally in that way. So yes, climate and cost of living and housing and the transit system, I think all of them, all of those things affect each other and all of those solutions will also affect each thing as well. So City Council started to address those issues. What do you think about what uh, they did and how would you like to approach it differently? I don't want to criticize what they've done too much. I think it, there's lots of good things that the city has put forward. I think we just need to address the gaps a little bit, address the people that feel like they're not part of what's going on. Like there was a there was an e-bike program and you needed to be a homeowner and you could get a grant to buy a wildly expensive e-bike. And a lot of people don't own homes and a lot of people don't have that money. And so that's a great solution for the people that that have that ability to take part in it. And I don't think we should stop with those solutions. I just think we also have to be aware that isn't the majority of the people that live here. And yes. we have to, and every solution that we come up with has to be available to the majority or it doesn't, it's not what it could be. And if we're only targeting a tiny minority of the people that live here to take part in these initiatives, then we're not doing ourselves a justice. And those are the people that don't own houses. Lower income people, absolutely. Income. I think people maybe forget about those people. They're not as vocal, perhaps, and they're not um, traditionally viewed as like stakeholders in what's going on. But the yeah. fact of the matter is that millionaires don't want to serve coffee and millionaires don't want to work in stores. <laughs> so yeah. you're going to end up with a very different town if nobody yeah. from a lower economic background can afford to live here. So are you talking with people? Is it something that the people said? And what else do you learn from people that you talk with? The commonalities are quite striking. I was talking with people just around town and, and I talked to the police chief and I talked to the people at the library and I talked to business owners that I know. And then I also had the opportunity to talk to people that are experiencing poverty and homelessness the other day. And, some, and there was commonalities within all those groups. Like the homeless people want bear-proof garbage cans because they're sleeping on the street and the fact that there's bears running around town really is upsetting to them <laughs> and other people want it because bears are being killed downtown and that's upsetting to them so there's a common solution there that everybody can get behind and yeah. finding those things I think is why I'm running I want to find those commonalities and try to deal with those problems when was the first time you thought about that what was the seed that you said oh Maybe I should run. Uh, Nobody deals with that. Nobody's care about that. I, it took me some kind of a lot of suggestions from other people. And then the last straw was earlier this year. The, the CBC had called me because I'm a member of a group called the West Kootenai People for Racial Justice. And the CBC had called me to comment on the Nelson City Police thing where they have a racist WhatsApp chat that was under investigation. It was... A thing and the CBC had called me to get our group's take on it and I did that interview and 
I, to be brief, like my take on it is that these are community problems. It doesn't surprise me that there's racism in the police because there's racism in the community and there's racism in the society that we live in. And the police are not exempt from that society. I think they live here. And so I'm not surprised <laughs> there's racism at the grocery store as well. And so my solutions are community solutions. I don't feel like the solution is to go after people. I feel the solution is to, in this particular example, given the infraction or whatever, the solution is just more community involvement. I think the police are uh, have the tendency to be a society to themselves because 99% of their interactions with the public are negative, just given their job. And so we as a city can encourage them to be part of the community in a positive way, encourage uh, volunteering from the police department and youth sports or in events and build up this kind of like positive interaction, this positive relationship that then goes on to, to influence other interactions that might happen between the police and the public. And then, so I finished this. Yeah, it, it, it's obvious, I think, if you think about it. But it's common for people that are afraid from crime to want stronger police and for people that are afraid from police to want to defund the police. And your idea is none of them. I love it. And that's the thing. That's an issue with two sides, or it's the same issue. If we have community policing, and the community and the police feel like they're part of the community, and so what's good for the community is good for them. And if we feel like what's good for the police is good for us because they're part of our community, that's a much different, the outcomes are much different. Um, and it's just a sense you can be divisive and you can be combative in, in the sense and there's two sides to that issue or there's just one side. And the side is that we want a better community. We have a local police department, which is a luxury in the sense that they're accessible to us in the way the yes. RCMP just definitely aren't. And they want, like I've spoken with them, they want this. Yeah. The upshot of that interview was that my landlord, who owns Pharmasave, Pharmasave is my landlord, right? And they... And they Probably may have been the only people that listened to that interview at eight in the morning on a Monday, but they called me up and said, you should run for city council. That was really good. <laughs> I told them to get stuffed because I don't want to anything to do with that. And my life is really good. And I, But then I thought, and I got off the phone and thought about it. If everybody that has something to contribute doesn't put themselves forward, then we're not going to get out of this. We're not going to move forward as a community. So whether I get elected or not, I'm just going to put myself forward. And I'm always telling the kids that I work with at the gym, put aside your fear and give it everything you got and nothing bad can happen. As hard as it is sometimes to take our own advice and to be the thing that we're always urging other people to be, then I decided that I can't really get away with this. So I have to do it. I have to try. And, you know, Worst case scenario, I don't get elected, but I really hope that I do. And I get an opportunity to put some of my ideas into action or at least to bring them to the table and work on it with somebody else. I think that's also part of community is that none of my ideas are going to make it past council without some sort of changes because I'm not the only person on council. So everybody's going to work together. I love it. Uh, Jesse, I want to ask you more about this racism that you see. Is it? towards uh, indigenous people, towards brown community. Say more about that. What do you see and how it affects people that you see or the people that come to the boxing or people that you talk with? It affects everybody differently, but I do think it does affect everybody. People that, the racism that I've experienced has been luckily very like low level. It's usually as 
there's been a lot of different things. I've lived here most of my life and being one of the only brown people in my school at the time, and that was had its challenges, but mostly it's really low level. That's what I've experienced is like this low level thing, like being asked where I'm really from six or seven times a week. And oh, that's familiar to me too, yeah, yeah. <laughs> because of the accent. Of course. And I think that there is, it does... So it affects me in a much different way than somebody else who maybe is more visibly a minority or, or is less ambiguous in their racial identity. Were you being bullied as a kid? A little bit and singled out. And just my belonging, I think, is constantly questioned as if you can't be Canadian and be brown or something. And so... Again, I'm a strong person. I believe in myself and I have good self-esteem and I have good parents and a good family and a good support system. And so I navigate those things and it's part of my life. Is it what led you to do boxing too? Is it part of it? Part of it, yeah. Part of it, yeah. for sure. And boxing is a great vehicle for that because everybody is equal and has the ability to defend themselves in a boxing ring. There's no unfair advantages like there are in real life. So... Yeah, I think it did shape it, but I just want to say about the racism Nelson, I think that it's I believe it's a power dynamic in this particular society. The majority of people in Nelson aren't experiencing racism because the majority of people in Nelson belong to a dominant culture. White. <laughs> they're yeah. white. And so they're not experiencing it themselves. It doesn't mean that they're not affected by it. And the ability to live in this world in a graceful, positive way is affected by it. And I think that when we ignore it or pretend that it doesn't exist or excuse it or don't make efforts as a community to actively combat it, then we're all left a little poorer. And some of us are profoundly affected. And some of us are just, maybe we don't even know Like it's hard to quantify the absence of something. But if you're a, a, a white person living in Nelson, I think your life could be a lot richer if these problems weren't a thing or if we were working as a community to mitigate them. Um, I've lived in places where racism is overt and violent and all of those things, and it can be those things here as well. But the lower level, more subtle version is also destructive and needs to be addressed. Yeah. Okay, your take about the old growth. So I grew up in Argenta. Okay, done. Um, <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of news stories lately about what's going on in Argenta, yeah. and my family's been intimately involved in them. My brother is a reporter and story in the Narwhal about his mother, my stepmother being arrested. And my actual mother was there as well and didn't get arrested, but only through some sort of luck because that was how it went. But that community has been at the forefront of these issues for years, ever since I've been alive. And what also is true is that community and people moved there because it was beautiful and natural and all these things. And even there at the end of the road, so to speak, there's these challenges now and these challenges that, have, that are everywhere. If you go up in a helicopter, you really can understand what we're dealing with the forests are gone there's a nice little fringe on the side of the road but most of them are gone <laughs> and so on the other hand that's how people make their living and i understand that i think we need to be shifting away from one way of doing things that we've been doing for a really long time and change is not necessarily bad it's good for everybody in this case it's just how gracefully we go. We can go kicking and screaming or we can 
go together, but I think we're going there regardless. No need to cut down or grow forest anymore. There's no need for it. And in fact, there's a need to not do it. <laughs> I think it's becoming more and more obvious to everybody that's the case. And I hope it doesn't take too much longer because I believe it'll be too late. You sound like a person that will be really good in conflict resolution. There are things that are really passionate with you, but you speak about them very calmly and balanced way. Yeah, I don't know why that is, but I'm hoping... It's not the first that... time somebody tells you that, right? <laughs> no. No, um, yeah. No, it's part of it. The times that I've dealt with conflict in my life, who I am as a person and who I am in this society that we live in, I think has informed my the way I am. So I know that the way to solve problems is not to piss off the other side. There's a point where we can all work together until maybe when push comes to shove and when it's really too late, then you know, there's only one way uh, eventually, but I don't think it's we're served by vilifying other people. I think everybody has their calculus and everybody has a good reason for doing what they're doing. They may not be educated and they may not be, and there's always room for improvement, but I think that most people feel like they're doing the right thing and from their perspective. And so yeah. uh, the secret to the whole thing is communication. So I hope that the majority of the problems that we're going to find at city council have the potential for to be bettered by communication and not by conflict and not by othering people or creating division. Okay, another question. Many people found refuge in the boxing gym at COVID time. What did you learn and what was the, some of the conclusion from those difficult uh, years? Just funny. One, what you asked last time, I think, segues into that. I COVID was difficult for a whole lot of different reasons, I think, from people losing their livelihoods to people losing their loved ones to people being just really afraid and acting out of fear in a lot of different ways, whether that was whether you believe that the government was overreaching or you believe that we we're all going to die or that our loved ones were in danger or whatever you believe. There was a lot of fear and there's a lot of hysteria around it. And in the boxing gym from day one, what I tried to do was just be empathetic with people from whatever direction they were coming from and just try to present the gym as what I've always thought it was anyway. It's a place where we're there to better ourselves and to spend our energy in a positive way as a community. So why would that change because of a pandemic? I, the absence of those things, I think, was the hardest thing about the pandemic was that we lost our sense of community and we became like little islands unto ourselves and just see how destructive that is in very tangible ways you know, like people lost money and people lost jobs and people lost loved ones and those are yeah. things that you can count and also in intangible ways and just relate to one another our discourse as a community our ways of communicating with people that don't agree with us I think it all took like a serious hit and so yeah I was never interested in that I tried my best to just be welcoming to everybody to be empathetic towards challenges that they were going through and just to be there for people. And it worked in some sense. Like we had the same challenges as everybody else. We had to close our doors for a while. We, we I, People couldn't work because they were sick. A lot of my boxers lost years of work because their goals were basically taken from them. There was no provincial championships. There was no Olympics. There was no national championships. There was no traveling. There was nothing. All of these things that these kids had worked so very hard for were just kind of arbitrarily not there anymore. And so we lost a lot of people to 
and nobody quit boxing and started doing something positive. It's not like they didn't come to the gym and then started doing something else. They didn't come to the gym and played more video games and started vaping instead. And it was heartbreaking. Yeah. It's really heartbreaking. And I'm so grateful for the people that didn't do that and that stuck with it through what was a really hopeless time for everybody. I maintained what we were doing and I tried to give people as much as I could a place to be. And those of us that have come out the other side of this with the ability to communicate and the ability to be empathetic towards other people, I think the types of spaces are really important right now. Thank you for listening. My name is Yael Feiner, and this was Jesse Pinheiro. Next time, we're going to talk with Brenton Rabbi, who's running for city council. There's a, an accumulative grief that's happening downtown after a series of overdose deaths last few years we're getting into like 10 15 20 right this is not normal for people to fend for themselves in these circumstances please subscribe to this podcast and listen to the other candidates so you can vote for the one that represents you best see you next time <laughs>